<coughs> you about ready to go? <coughs> Good to go. All right, start that music up. Let's hit it. Shut up and sit down. Welcome to the Black Swarm Podcast. It's the Week 5 edition. I'm Rob Antonell. I'm here with Hank Piper. How you doing, Hank? Uh, doing fantastic. Awesome, awesome. And uh, don't mistake the silence out of the third microphone is Jim Matigley. Uh He's actually not here tonight, so it's just going to be me and you, Hank. Uh, I hope that's not a problem. I mean, it's been basically us every other week, so it's just part of the course. All right, we'll keep it as normal then. Yep. All right, so what do you got to talk about tonight? So, yeah, I got a couple things in the New Jersey game I want to talk about. I mean, we can look ahead to Firestone a little bit, but, uh, man, this podcast might not last much longer because if that's, like, multi-state title winning New Jersey football, you and I are about to have a very successful coaching career up on the East Coast. You know, I never thought about moving there, but, you know, at this point, we could probably make a real thing of it. I, I mean, you give me their game script. I can I can jump in. Just tell me what it, the basic play calls are because I can at least game manage my way through that better than they did. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we can figure it out. Uh, you know, but before we get into that, you know, let, let's jump right into some of my housekeeping uh, plans because I, I know most of you viewers don't make it through the entire podcast. Uh, uh, I understand, you know, it hurts me a little bit on the inside, but I understand uh, so let's get a lot of this stuff out of the way up front. I would like to clarify, though, that's uh, listeners, as this is an audio format. Well, they can't view me on SoundCloud? Eh. Okay, to everybody out there that can hear me right now, uh, I know you don't make it through the entire podcast. That's all right. So uh, I have a few, couple things, masculine things I'd like to talk about at the beginning here instead of at the end. Uh, you know, just being able to support the program. Uh, obviously, we appreciate you listening to the podcast, uh, but to go along with that, you know, we want to pass on some of the information that's given to us by other people in the community that help out the program. So, uh, you know, first off, you know, make sure to check out some of the other uh, sources online for the Tiger football program. You know, Maslin Proud, they obviously do a lot. You know, they broadcast a lot of information to a, a very wide audience. If you're not already following them on Twitter or Facebook, you know, make sure to do that. Also, make sure to check out MaslinTigers.com. They have all of the information you could ever want or need about, you know, the Tiger program, the history, the current season, the statistics, any events that might be coming up. Uh, you know, make sure to check them out. Uh, they have all of the information for you. Uh, a few other things, you know, we are collecting booster bonanza coupons that are in the newspaper every Friday. Uh, cut them out of the newspaper, bring them to the game with you somewhere. You know, I haven't specifically seen them, but s somewhere there is a bucket where you can dump off these booster bonanza coupons. They all get collected. But have you looked for them, though? I have not looked for them, no. Uh, There's somewhere, with, for sure. Uh, with minimal amount of effort, you can find them. They definitely have them. If you just ask, I'm sure they can point you in the right direction of where they are. Uh, so cut out the booster bonanza coupons in the newspaper every single f uh, Friday. Tell your friends and family to do the same. Bring them to the game. It's an easy way for uh, the school district to make some extra money. Uh, just by winning the contest at the end of the year. We won it five years in a row. We're looking to win it for the sixth year in a row. Uh, it's something, if you're getting the newspaper already, it's it's simple. Just cut it out and bring it with you. It's not that difficult. Uh, to go with that, we're already collecting canned food for the food drive against 
uh, Canton McKinley that we do every year. McKinley has beat us a couple years in a row, I believe, in the food drive. So, uh, you know, every can matters. Bring in a can of food or... Even if you don't have a can, $1 equals seven pounds of food. So, I, in my opinion, just throwing a couple of bucks, that's easier than bringing a couple cans of SpaghettiOs. Yes. I mean, if you have some extra cans lying around, uh, you know, feel free to donate them. Uh, if not, you know, $1 equals seven pounds of food, uh, which also goes towards the total uh, for the competition against McKinley. So, you know, you can bring that to the Booster Club meetings, which are every Monday night. I recommend coming to the Booster Club meeting. They're at the high school. They're at 7 o'clock. I think they just changed the location. They were up in the library, the media center. I think they're going to have them in the auditorium from now on. They, were, they, getting a, they yeah. were getting a larger audience, and with that larger audience, we needed a better sound system and amplification to, you know, reach everybody that was in there so they could hear what the coach was saying. Uh, you know, it's awesome just to go to the meetings. You hear the coach talk. You hear some of the players talk. You get to see the film. I mean, it's, it's just an amazing. You know, I, I've missed the last couple of them because I had things going on. But I know that Hank's gone to him. I know that Jim's gone to him. And I just missed the last one because, like we said, you know, life gets in the way. But I know the last one they actually did have in the auditorium. That's mm-hmm. the first one they moved to. Yeah. So, I mean, go check it out. Uh, if nothing else, you know, show your support for the team. Uh one other thing is there's a bus going to Louisville week nine. I haven't heard any update about it. The last I heard, they were still selling tickets to take the bus over to Louisville for week nine. Last I heard, they had two buses, and they were... So they did get the de- second bus then? They were debating whether or not to pull the plug on the second okay. bus. Okay, all right. Uh, so if you are interested in getting a bus ride over to Louisville, they have no parking whatsoever over there. So it's going to be a lot easier just to get dropped off right at the front gate, get picked up after the game right at the gate, uh, take the bus there and back. It, you know, it's like $20, $25. Uh, contact you know, a Booster Club member or you know, even send us a message and we'll figure out for you. I think they have tickets down at Matt Keller's Furniture mm. downtown. Or even contact the massandtiger.com or Mass and Proud. Yeah, reach out to somebody if you're interested, because uh, we knew they were on the verge of of canceling the second bus. They weren't sure if they needed it, uh, so don't miss out because you waited too long. Uh, if that's something that interests you, reach out to somebody, and you know we'll be able to figure it out for you. Uh, if nothing else, to to see how we can get you in contact with one of those tickets. Uh, I, I I think that's a uh, one other thing. You know, uh, I was gonna say that was all, but. Uh, so one other thing, uh, Chris Spielman. Yeah, he's uh, up for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And uh, at the moment, it's they have a bunch of guys. I think it's like uh, 48 members that they'll uh, whittle it down to 25 and then whittle, whittle that down to the eventual inductee class. But at the moment, uh, Chris Spielman is up for in the initial 48 members. And you can go on www.nfl.com slash Hall of Fame vote. And you can vote for him. I mean, we got the man on the Wheaties box in high school. I think we get the man in the Hall of Fame now. Yeah, and you know, I'd be lying to you if I said he was one of the favorites to get in this year. But you know, this is this is kind of a, a downhill effect. You know, you build more momentum each and every year. Yeah. Uh, they have a fan vote for the Hall of Fame now, so you know they definitely take that into consideration. So you know, if everybody can go online and vote, uh, we'll try to post the link onto you know our twitter and facebook page i think i retweeted the uh the initial link that mass and proud mm-hmm. sent out but i will 
Uh, I'll get it out again. Yeah, we'll definitely get it out again. Also, Maslin Proud has mentioned it on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, And then on Facebook, you know how it spreads like wildfire. You know, Coach Moore, he reposted it. Uh, So you can find the link online. It's not that difficult. For whatever reason, if you're having a hard time, just contact us and we'll send you the link. The one thing with it is that you have to vote for 25 people in order to submit the vote. So you can't vote just for Chris Mill and, and press submit. It won't work. You have to submit for a full 25 people. Just make sure that Chris is one of them when you do it. And, you know, we're going to get his percentages up as we do it. And if you think that's hard, just click Chris Spielman. Click the nearest 25 people around him. I'm not going to lie. I, I kind of did that as well. You know, I picked a few of the favorites. Yeah. Honestly, when it comes to some of the top-level people, I don't think the fan vote's going to matter. Nope. But... You know, you got to collect Chris and 24 other people. You know, even if it doesn't get him in this year, it gives him a head start for the years to come. So, you know, it, it would be awesome to get another Maslin, uh, you know, person into the Hall of Fame. So, you know, just go online, quick vote. It's not that difficult. It takes a couple of seconds out of your day. Uh and you can find that link posted either on uh, Massive Proud's Twitter, on their Facebook, on MassiveTiger.com. It's on their front page right now. Or it will be reposted on our social media. That is at Black Swarm Pod on Twitter, uh, the Black Swarm Podcast on Facebook. And, I mean, it's not going to be posted there, but if you want to get a hold of us, the Black Swarm Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, send us an email, you know, if you need yeah. to, and, uh, you know, we'll see it eventually. Ask for the link. <laughs> yeah, just ask for the link. We'll send it to you, no problem. Uh, so one other housekeeping item, you know, might as well just touch on it now. Uh, I believe that Jameer is exactly 300 yards away from tying the all-time rushing list. 300 even. So exactly 300 more yards. Uh, last week, we, we kind of brought it up, you know, where we thought he would hit you know, the record. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we both agreed that it was going to be against East St. Louis, yeah. right? That would have been four games yep. uh, from when we mentioned it. And he I'm needed st- over about 400, over 400 yards. Yeah. So right now he's at 300 more yards to tie the record, 301 to break the record. Uh, it You know, barring something weird... Or, you know, an injury, obviously, we That's, don't want to happen. We always talk about these things assuming no injuries, which you just hope never happens, you know? It, you know, one way or another, it, it appears that he will end the year as Maslin's all-time leading yeah. rusher one way or another. He's actually already, like, every game that goes on, every carry, he keeps breaking the record of all-time carries. Because, I mean, he's been, he started since we said last week, halfway through his freshman year. Don't have the exact date. I'm sure that's something we'd figure out. But I I remember his freshman year, they they started playing him at linebacker a little bit when we were shuffling around our defense. And, you know, ever since he got put in there that first time, he's he's been a cornerstone for us one way or another. So, you know, obviously he's he's been one of Maslin's greatest, you know, and and I I think right now it's it's almost hard for us to, you know, envision what he's done for us for the last four years. Yeah. But I think a couple years from now, we're going to look back and you're really going to see the impact that he had on the program. I mean, you can think of like this year, you know, he's had he had three big runs against Glen Oak. He's had a couple against Warren. He had the one big one uh, to open up the second half against Montclair. But last year, I mean, there's none of those real like wow type runs, you know. He was just he's been a hammer up the middle through the B gap, follow your wrapping guard on power. 
snap after snap after snap after snap. In fact, I think last year he only had his longest run was 15 yards. So it's this record has been earned. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it it wasn't just handed to him. That's for sure. You know, we played some tough competition. We he played in a lot of games. You know, last year you you said you think the longest run he had was 15 yards. Yeah. Which you know, when it comes to total yardage, when it comes to yards per carry, that definitely doesn't you know help you out too much. No. Um, but you know, he's really grounded out, and you know, he's been one of our better players for the last few years. And you know, obviously, we look for him to continue that as the year goes on. And one more, one more thing. Uh, last week on the podcast, I kind of offhandedly said at the end that our pass pro from last year was trash. And uh, that, quite frankly, not true. That was just kind of a, a, a facetious exaggeration. I've spoken nothing but glowingly about our pass pro this year on the podcast, which I should have. We haven't technically given up any sex. Our line hasn't. And I can only speak positive about something for so long before who I am as a person takes over and I need to overcorrect and be negative about something. And that just happened to be the case for that. Yeah, I'm surprised it took that long, honestly. I mean, four episodes in to make somebody mad, that's better than I expected. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say mad, but what what Hank's referring to is we did get some feedback that uh, you know, you know, some of the coaches c- took it a little personal that uh, the comment that that we made last week, and you know, honestly, you know, obviously we don't want to offend anybody, and you know, it it might have been an exaggeration, but at the same time, we really respect and appreciate the fact that the coaches you know did take it personally because it shows how much they care for what they do and they take it so serious that you know it was something that really hit home to them and uh you know we're always open to hearing feedback from you know whoever it is that's listening to us and you know we we appreciate the feedback and at the same time you know it like we said it was probably some form of an exaggeration that that Hank was saying from last week but the fact that you know the coaches not not all of them, you know, maybe not just one of them, but we heard feedback. Yes. So, you know, at least one person, you know, took this personally. And, you know, we really appreciate the fact that he did just because it shows how much he cares for what he does or, you know, our coaching have I don't want to single one person out. I'm not entirely sure, you know, who it was. But, you know, the fact that somebody on the coaching staff or multiple people on the coaching staff took it personal, you know, I we appreciate how much they care for what they do. And, you know, it really just speaks volumes of who our coaching staff are as as a whole. And not only is that just like a lot adds on to the laundry list of reasons why I love this current coaching staff. Quite frankly, we just appreciate the listen. <laughs> yeah, if nothing else, you know, thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> so uh, I, I guess we'll that's about the end of housekeeping on my end. How about you? Yeah, if anything else, you know, comes up, I'll, I'll say it at the end. But yeah. uh, I think that's about it. All right. Uh, so what do we got? You know, to look forward to. Well, I mean, to look forward to? What's coming up? What's coming up is um, not much, to be honest. Like, if you got a big tailgate planned, let's go all out. You can stay outside, stay there from, you know, I know gates open in the north lot for us at uh, 4 p.m. until clock hits zero at, say, 9.30, 9.45. Sounds get, about right. If you got a tailgate that's going to last out long, I'd say this is the week to go for it. Yeah, I mean, what we're referencing is that Firestone, is they're not an amazing team. Uh, so, you know, obviously we never want to take any of our, opponent, our opponents lightly, 
and we touched on it earlier in the year, you know, how a team should prepare and what kind of mindset they should have going into weeks like this. And, you know, we've, we've also mentioned how good our coaching staff is at, you know, setting that expectation for the team. So time and time again, they've shown, they've, They've shown us that the bar is not set at a W. The bar is set much higher than that. Yeah, so we expect nothing less. Uh, you know, but we're going to be blatantly honest with you know Firestone is not the best team, uh, so don't expect a whole lot from Firestone this week. Uh, and obviously, you know we're we're a pretty good team, so uh, I'm not entirely sure you know how long we're even going to keep our starters in this week. And uh, you know, even looking forward to next week. You know, Fitch, they're usually a pretty tough team for us to go against. We've had some success against them, but, mm-hmm. you know, they always put up a good fight. Uh, they got beat pretty badly by Warren last week, and, you know, we beat Warren pretty badly. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out as well. Not that the transitive property generally works in football, you know, like, oh, this team beat this team, we beat that team, so we should beat this team. But, it, I mean, it's... Really, it's not looking great for Fitch. Yeah, so, I mean, if nothing else, we did have, you know, two, at least two players that got banged up last week. Mm -hmm. So, look forward to having them heal up in the next couple weeks and hopefully getting them back for the East St. Louis game. But, uh, you know, this week, you know, Fires, they're just not an amazing team. I don't, I don't have too much information about them. Uh, but Hank, it looks like you you got some, you know, either through the Booster Club meeting or you know from notes that you've seen online. Yeah. I mean, I've seen a little bit of film on them. Um, offensively, they're kind of like a spread team. They like to run with a tight end more often than not, but usually stay in the spread pistol kind of deal. They looked a lot like Montclair did, but just with a tight end attached to the formation rather than splitting him out wide. They'll go a little bit under center, power eye but nothing spectacular, nothing really too complicated. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, we're, another, we're expecting another like a 4-4, maybe 6-2, cover zero type front. Basically what Montclair ran, but without as good of athletes. So, it, so basically they're going to try to force us to throw the ball like Montclair did? Yes. Okay, in which, you know, we saw what happened last week. They, 303 passing yards. They told us to throw it, and, and we did. Yep. So, uh, I mean, look for look for just a great day from our offense in general against Firestone. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of laid off a little bit and they, they did play it a little safer mm-hmm. just because... Drop back in zone a little bit. You know, that I, I just feel that like that's what you would do if you're a coach. If you know you're kind of outmatched, yeah. the last thing you want to do is go to a risky defense, uh, especially when it didn't work against us last week. I mean, so you, I, you just never know what these coaches are going to adjust to. You, I mean, you're caught between the middle of do you want to make the team march down the field on you, or do you just want to give up big plays left and right? Yeah, I mean that's another thing we touched on at the beginning of the year. You know, our team is so well balanced. You know, we have a great offensive line, we have a great running game. At the same point, we have great receivers and a great quarterback. So you can't really take one or the other away from us. You know, it's going to take a very good team to, you know, force us to do both effectively to, you know, to actually beat us. You're not going to take away one or the other. I mean, it's hard to match up with us, like, athletically out wide as well as up front in the trenches, in the the tackle box. Uh, You're not going to run into many teams that can do that. 
Yeah, so, I mean, it, it just depends on what the team we're playing against that week decides to try to do against us. You know, we've touched on it time and time again that every single team, when they play us, they change their schemes against us. One week out of the year, they'll play something different than they will the rest of the year, specifically against us. So, you know, you never know what to expect from our opponents, but at the same time, it it's not going to be easy to take away one thing from us because if you try to take away the one, we're still really good at the other. Yeah, and I mean, I guess if you want to kind of get into the X's and O's a little bit, just from the film I saw, um, it, uh, we touched on at the beginning of the year about the zone defense we run and what most of the bigger schools run, what everybody runs at the higher levels of a pattern match zone where you're more just kind of playing off the receivers and you have responsibility based on that. Uh, Firestone, at least it appeared that they ran a drop spot defense where you just, the old school zone where you run to the area of the field, you defend the player in the zone. And quite frankly, you can pick them apart based on what you, whether you see a too high or single high safety. Yeah. So, I mean, the more traditional way that, you know, or the more modern way that uh, defenses run zone coverage is... You know, instead of drawing on a chalkboard where a defender is supposed to defend on the field, they more have a concept they're supposed to defend. So depending on what kind of route the receivers run, they will defend it a different way. So if the defenders are specifically supposed to go defend one area of the field, it's easy to just not run your routes to that area of the field. And, you know, that's why it's easy to kind of pick apart that old school defense uh, whereas, you know, a modern defense, the defenders are going to change based on what the offense does. Uh, and, you know, obviously we still have a lot of schemes that can beat that, but it, it's just, it's tougher to beat. So, you know, if you if a team plays a drop spot defense zone and, you know, it's a cover two, cover three, cover four, whatever it is, the defenders are going to drop into a specific area. All you have to do is, you know, either overload one area with multiple receivers or avoid an area altogether. It's kind of hard to avoid an area. You're probably going to, you know, overlap one spot or you're going to attack a safety with two different guys in two different directions. You know, whatever it may be, the uh, the coaches know what they're doing. It, it just, it's not a modern style of playing defense and it, it's pretty easy to beat. I mean, the way I saw it attacked was um, the team that they were playing against was running a four wide, two by two, and they were running a base drop spot cover three. If you just run four verts out of that, you can attack the seams, which is the either side number two receiver going vertical. There's going to be open spots. Uh, the quarterback can just pick which side he wants to go to, more or less. And I think if they just want to keep doing that, we're going to have a lot of passing yards. Because it's not like, I mean, I know lefty can tear that kind of defense apart. He's shown it in the past. Our second string, our third string, Jameer at the Wildcat passing the ball could tear that apart. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's a very basic way of playing defense. I mean, it, it's what you might see from like a middle school level team, to be honest. Uh, you know, it's just... Uh, yeah, so most teams, they won't just run the same coverage all game long. They'll usually adjust their coverage based on what kind of formation the team comes out in. So what Hank alluded to, if you have two receivers on one side of the field, two receivers on the other side of the field, most teams are not going to run a cover three against that. You know, I know when we played, 
we always based our coverage off of what the formation was. Yeah. Uh, back when we played, if it was two receivers to one side, two receivers to the other side, unless we had you know something special going on, we would usually run a cover two, cover four to that because it just works so much better mm-hmm. than a cover three against that kind it, of formation. It was almost kind of like a. Um I don't want to say watered down, but more of a high school level version of like what, like say Gary Patterson runs at TCU, which should be fresh in your memory if you watch the Ohio State TCU game, to where they don't call the coverage on the back end from the sideline. The safeties or whoever's in charge of that calls it based on the formation that the, that the offense comes out in. Yeah, I mean that's how we did it. That I, I feel like that's how most teams base their defense, just because if you try to run a cover three against a two by two set, yeah. There, there are too many easy ways to beat that coverage. I mean, you can do it. You see, like, uh, Nick Saban basically perfected it with his... Um, it, it's a big thing if you want to research it. The Nick Saban cover three ripple is. It, it pattern match cover three that beats four verts. That it... I Firestone is not running that. I can tell you that much. Most teams cannot do that. I mean, that's a very, very specialized type of defense. You know, the much easier way to do it is just to switch your coverage based on the formation. If they line up uh, with three receivers to one of the side of the field, you run cover three. If they line up in a two-by-two set, you run cover two, cover four. I'm not saying it's perfect, but it is definitely a lot easier than just running a cover three the whole game or just a cover two the whole game and I, I we've had a lot of conversation about this off air but just for the people listening to this we stay in too high almost exclusively we don't need to roll to cover three to trips in quarters which we run cover four there's enough in there that you can manipulate there's enough established that the schematics wise from other coaches and everything that the entire system, it can handle a lot. So unless you're basing out, unless you like want to stay too high most of the time, like we do, you're like Rob said, you're going to roll to one coverage or the other. Yeah. I mean, at the beginning of the year when we had all these off air conversations about, you know, cover four, uh, I mean, I kind of mentioned how I, I, I'm not super familiar with it just cause that's not something we ran when yeah. we played under the regime we were under. Uh, so we played cover three and we played cover two. You know, we, we also mixed in a few specialized coverages, you know, man to man here, you know, cloud cover. We, we had yeah. other adjustments, but basically cover three or cover two. Now, our cover two was not just a traditional cover two. It, it kind of acted a little bit more like how you run your cover four. So I think that's why it worked well. Hmm. Uh, but I've come to, you know, appreciate the cover four. Just because, you know, you might be giving up some of the underneath stuff if you're playing looser. But But the way we play, we play like a press stop the run cover for, which you're not necessarily giving up that underneath stuff as easy. Yeah, and I think that's a little bit closer to how we did it when we played. Because, I mean, we called it a cover two, but at the same time, our our responsibilities, you know, as we're the only thing that really changes between a cover two and a cover four is, is kind of the corner. Yeah. You know, the safety doesn't have as big of an area to cover in a cover four. It's almost like the corner in a cover two, his first priority is the flats, and the cover four, his first priority is vertical down the sideline. Yeah. I mean, we played more of a cover two, so the corner would have that flats responsibility. But at the same time, we would drop with, if, if, uh, both receivers decided to go 
downfield. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was almost a match coverage. It ended up the same result as a cover four. Yeah. Uh, except for how he lined up might have been a little bit different. I mean, there's a there's a certain couple of uh, route patterns that would make you pass off that vertical from the number one. Like, say, one goes vertical, two goes out. Yes. Then you have to end up, as a corner, eventually playing that out route and passing off the vertical to the safety which could mm-hmm. kind of give up a hole. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, or even, you know, when we played, like I said, we, we ran mostly these type of coverages. Yeah. But if we would have played a team that was, you know, pretty good at beating that kind of defense, we would adjust. We did a lot of adjustments on the back end. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we always kind of <laughs> tailored it towards the team we're playing, which, you know, yeah. that's something that Maslin always does. You have to tailor your oh, defense yeah. to what what you're going to play and also against what you think we might have to play because you know we've talked a hundred times about how teams change their scheme but i mean i think either way kind of works i i appreciate both aspects of it i at the end of the day we set up our defense based off of what is going to set us up for the most success against the formation we're playing and not every team does that and that's kind of what we've been alluding to this whole time firestone is going to line up of what we've seen, yeah. they line up kind of the same way every time. And when you do that, it is very easy for an offense to beat you just because you set up your offense in a different way. Uh, if you're only playing cover three the whole game, it's pretty easy to pick apart a cover three based off of how you line up. Exactly. And the fact that I don't think we've really talked about this much, but the way our, our, our offense is ran, it's, I think... Uh, Mazer was talking about at one of the Booster Club meetings. 80% of our plays, lefty can decide where he wants the ball to go. Like, say, just our base formation, shotgun, I would even call it more of an offset pistol, uh, two back, one running back, one fullback, twins one side, single receiver out other side. We'll call, say, power, and in the box we're running power, We'll tag the twins. They're running like the quick screen. You know, the number one runs just a now route, which he takes a jab step upfield, looks for the ball. The number two runs and blocks the guy over the number one receiver. On the back end, or on the other side, I should say, uh, depending on the leverage that that corner's playing with, the receiver can either run like a quick hitch or just beat him vertical. And Aiden has the choice to either hand it off, throw the quick hitch, throw the quick screen, or throw it to the isolated receiver out the other way. So it's not that even from the sideline we could tear it apart. It's from the kid taking the snap has the choice of what he wants to do. Yeah, so I kind of have two things to go towards your comment right here. Uh, Well, the first one is one of the coaches on the staff you know, behind the scenes, they told us looking forward to next year, you know, it, it's a long ways out. We don't want to, we don't want to worry about next year yet, Yeah. but looking forward to next year, this is just kind of a, an indicator of who we have at quarterback. Mm-hmm. They said next year, they might just let Longwell kind of run the show. They said he's that smart. He understands the concepts that well, that next year it's just going to be like, Hey, what do you want to run here? What do you want to do? What do you see? And, you know, having that caliber of a player behind center, it really helps you out with the aspect of what you're talking about right now 
uh, with like a run pass option or, you know, what a lot of people just call an RPO. You know, call me crazy, Hank, but I think the RPO is is pretty modern. It's not something that you would have seen, you know, a long time ago. People no. that would have played in the 70s probably have no concept of what this is. No. So basically, we're going to line up in a formation and it's going to be called initially a run play, correct? Yes. So it's going to be a run play, you know, one way or another, power, most probably, probably power, most often maybe a power, 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 mostly power. power. Okay. So and you're going to, you're going to forget, a, don't forget power. Also power. Yes. So you're going to line up and you're going to have a power run play called at the line. At the same time, you're also going to have the receivers running specific routes and as a quarterback, you're going to read a specific defender and see what he does. If he plays the run, you're going to pull the ball out of the running back's hand and you're going to complete an easy pass. If not, you're going to hand it off as normal and you have the run play. The ability to do either one of those today is really wrecking havoc on defenses. Mm-hmm. Because now they have to kind of play in between. You either have to adjust your defense to take away some of those quicker passes. You have to try and take away your conflict players. Like, say, in our defense, because we usually stay with a two-high shell, our Sam linebacker, Mac. He has to... He's always, like, when we play these spread formations, he's always kind of spread out over the slot guy. And he's responsible for covering him in the pass but he's also responsible for his, you know, his run fit as well. So that's generally on an RPO, that's who you're reading. But you also get into the stuff which is more pre-snap where you can get a look and say like, oh, the running cover zero, the guy's running press on Ballard out wide. I know he can beat him deep, so let me just toss him the jump ball. Yeah, and we see it a lot, you know, down on the goal line in the red zone uh, where we have the run play called then we also have the wide receiver fade with it. And you see that one-on-one against Traylon Morgan, against Jalen Ballard. Quarterback might be, you know, they might want to throw it up to a receiver more than wanting to hand it off. Yeah. And that's what we've seen a couple of times so far, and it's worked out. Yeah. And but, I actually kind of want to get into that more because we still haven't touched on the New Jersey game. There are a couple things I want to get into there, but we'll touch on that later. Yeah, so... I mean, just just to kind of break it down a little bit more. This is a little bit more X's and O's for people that in, that like this kind of stuff. You know, you're basically you have a run play and a pass play all at once going on, and it's up to the quarterback not just to read the defense before the snap, but to read the defense after the snap takes place to see how they play the initial read of the play. If, you know, if that linebacker crashes on the run, you, you're probably going to pull it and look for that pass. Yeah. If he's on his heels a little bit, you hand it off. And it's just, you know, the modern style play. You know, you see it, the same concept pre-snap. You, if you watch a lot of NFL games, you'll see mm-hmm. quarterbacks make adjustments at the line. You know, you'll hear them yell alert. You'll hear them yell read. Uh, so a lot of the times they're calling two different plays in the huddle, and the quarterback will pick which one he wants to run when they see how the defense lines up similar to that concept we're just have we have one play that has a pass and run all at the same time and the quarterback gets to decide 
during the play which one he wants to do. And it's almost like the old play-action pass, fake the run, drop back. It's what that tries to accomplish, but better because the line is actually running, is playing a run play. They yeah, are not showing, faking anything. No, you're showing run. And we've been talking, you know, nothing but good about this. The drawback is in high school and college, linemen can only be three yards downfield. Mm-hmm. NFL, only one yard downfield. So you can't really take downfield shots with this it's, play. It's got to be quick. Yeah, it's got to be quick. Like, that's why we run the quick screen. Because Even, like we said, it's, it's not a fake. Our no. linemen... They are run blocking. For all intents and purposes with everybody in the box, it is power run. They are whatever we call yeah, it. Yeah, they're assuming that the running back is getting the handoff every single time. So if the quarterback decides not to hand it off and he wants to throw it, it's got to be quick because our linemen are run blocking. They're getting upfield yeah. trying to reach those second level defenders. And even if, like, say the jump ball in the red zone, like we were talking about earlier, if it looks you know, like long, it's not. Watch, like time the quarterback from getting the snap to throwing the ball. It's out of his hand quick, you know? So yeah. it's, you're still not going to get that penalty of lineman downfield. Yeah. I, I think the one complaint that we've had about the RPO, uh, it, it is down in the red zone mm-hmm. because, I mean, I, I know you've talked about it a few times off yeah. air. We'll run this RPO down in the red zone and the idea is that if you know Trayvon Morgan has a one-on-one sideline fade that's probably what we're going to do we're going to try to throw it up to him the issue with that is we're run blocking so if we know that we get that one-on-one look that we want we're probably going to pass the ball the issue is that our offensive line is run blocking for that play, not pass blocking, and sometimes it does leave your quarterback, you know, a little acceptable to getting hit. And I guess I'll we'll just jump into this now. We've touched on Firestone. We've touched on some more uh, broad things. Let's talk about the New Jersey game a little bit. I said to top it off uh, towards the beginning of the podcast that our line hasn't given up any sacks this year, which is technically correct even though this past game we gave up two sacks and one hit that i didn't like to see the hit came off in the red zone like we were just talking about that rpo that power rpo well we had double fullback to one side ran power throw the jump ball to morgan and when we showed any kind of like run heavy formation say just two wide receivers they were loading up the box, running cover zero, and sending extra guys from the outside, which we couldn't account for. Now, it really didn't matter that much because, say, we if we handed the ball off, uh, Zion or Jameer, they were hitting the hole before that extra guy coming from the end you know, could get to him. So yeah, you, so if you don't mind me interrupting you real quick. Yeah. So if when you're running this power run, mm. you know, to one side or the other, you might leave a guy unblocked off the opposite edge. Yeah. That's what we're kind of getting to. If we're running the ball to the right, we're going to leave that extra defender on the left side unblocked, which doesn't affect the run whatsoever. No. But when we ran the play and Aiden decided to throw the ball instead of hand it off, yeah. that guy off the edge ended up hitting Aiden. 
He got the ball off in time. It ended up being a touchdown. Yes. But he still took a hit. Yeah. And that's kind of the criticism that we're getting into here is once you get inside the 20-yard line, chances are your outside receiver is going to be one-on-one. Yeah. There's just not enough room for a safety to get over there anyway. So you're going to have a one-on-one receiver inside the 20. I I can still understand it because a team still might run some kind of like special coverage in the red zone to where, say, even Fitch last year, they showed a true double cover against Trayvon in the red zone. Yeah, some teams will do something specific. You know, Glen Oak has been known to double receivers when they they probably didn't have to. Yeah, they had a corner, like just Fitch last year, they had a corner up in uh, Morgan's face and then a safety topping him. So, say, with this RPO call, that, that would be a handoff because you've got you, you're minus one in the run game. Well, against this team, they were showing cover zero at from the 40-yard line whenever we looked like we wanted to run mm-hmm. the ball. So, you'd down in the red zone, I wouldn't be concerned about them, say, you know, dropping an extra guy to get a plus one in pass coverage which ended up with that extra guy coming off the line because uh, Aiden had to wait for Trey to beat the corner on the jump ball. And I know during the game that happened, I watched Aiden get hit, and I I immediately, I didn't like that. But you commented on uh, Morgan's route. Yeah, so, I mean, Morgan, he's he's run a couple good routes. Uh, I don't know if this was specifically the same play. Mm-hmm. that I commented on his route. But, you know, sometimes as a receiver, it takes you an extra second to get open. You want to set that corner up in a position where you could break off your route, even a fade down the sideline, you're still going to set up your route correctly where you can break off the corner and get a step on him. Perfect route running. The issue in that specific situation is that you had an extra guy coming off the edge right at Aiden. Yeah. So it's like if you draw the route up on the whiteboard, it's a fade. It's just kind of like a, a, a running little, straight down the field. Yes. Right up the sideline. But how he had to run the route because especially because the corner was playing with inside leverage, he had to run at the corner and then kind of break back out wide. Yeah. So I mean this this is a little bit more detailed, but you know, as a receiver you know, you want to create separation from the defender. That you know, that's mm-hmm. obvious. But the way you do it is you usually have to run away from where you want to go to get the defender going that direction and then break it back off where you want to go. So it takes a few extra steps. Uh, so I, really the issue that we're getting into with this whole concept is if Aiden's read for that play yeah. is if he sees one-on-one, he's going to throw it. Mm-hmm. You're going to see that more times than not. And especially... We personally think you might as well just call it. Yeah. Because you're going to get that one-on-one coverage anyway. You might as well pass protect for it. You know, obviously, like we said a hundred times, we're not the coaches. We're not the ones making these decisions. Everything that they do leads into something else. It's for a reason. It's for a reason. It's just... It's when it happens like this. When your quarterback gets hit and... He probably didn't have to on yeah. that one specific play. That's when you start, you know, second guessing everything. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we'd like to see when we get inside the red zone, if we're going to do that RPO fade down the sideline, 
and you know that the read for the quarterback is just one-on-one coverage, just call a pass play. If because you're, you're going, most likely you're going to get that one-on-one coverage. Yeah. If you're, if we want to run power, then we'll just call power. It doesn't matter what their language of the offense is. Just assume we're calling, say, power. When we call in power jump ball, we know we have a better idea than we don't that it's a one-on-one to either receiver and the jump ball is going to go to him. Now, we saw that happen. I still didn't like it because even like early in the game, that guy was still coming off the edge free. But later in the game, we had that exact same situation. And we did make an adjustment to it. I don't wanna like I don't wanna uh I don't wanna imply that the coaches don't know what they're doing in this. That they did make an adjustment. We went from going power or double fullback strong to where both fullbacks are on one side to we went to an even formation. So either fullback was behind either guard. And the play we still called power uh, jump ball, but the backside fullback was now responsible for helping take on that free rusher. Unfortunately, on this play, our fullback whiffed on his edge rusher and just sacked Aiden immediately. In my opinion, if he was back in pass blocking then it would have been a longer route for the edge rusher to run. Mm -hmm. But also when you call the play, you don't expect your fullback to just completely whiff on him either. So it's, I would say it's equal parts, the complaint we just listed and poor execution on the field. Yeah. And I mean, we're really nitpicking here. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, we're complaining about a play that was a touchdown. No, that, that one was a sack. Okay, you're complaining about the one that was a sack. Yes. But the initial play was a touchdown. Well, no, I'm complaining the about both. Half. I'm okay. just... Yeah. Well, in the first half, it was a touchdown. Yeah. Uh, so we're really nitpicking here, and obviously we're still trying new things out. Uh, and this was just a concept that kind of you know came to us. Uh, we don't know exactly what the quarterback's read is, and you know every situation is different. You know, One week you might play a really good corner, and the mm-hmm. read might not be just one-on-one. Yeah, you never know. Sometimes so, you're even just running that fade to run the corner off. Yeah, a lot of the times as a receiver, instead of blocking the corner, if you can just run down the field and get them to follow you, that's better than a block. So you know, you know, we're not faulting the system here. We're nitpicking. You know, maybe if you were in the college or NFL level, this is something that'd be yeah. maybe a little bit more relevant. And, uh, but uh, at the same time, we, you know, we're just trying to keep our quarterback on his feet. And it happened one time where he got hit on this play in the first half. In and the second half, it seemed like we did have it blocked correctly, but a bad execution of the block yes. ended in a sack. So you can't blame that on the concept. But, you know, we're really nitpicking here. So, it, listen, we're 4-0 and in four really good games so yeah. far. We have to find something to nitpick. We won 49-7, gave up, what was it, 43 yards? 43 total three yards. Three first downs. I have, I have one more play to go into, but we have three plays that we can talk negative about total, and even not negative about, just critically about. And that should really speak to the rest of the overall team, game, game plan, coaching staff, all of that. Now, that was the second sack we gave up all year. 
first sack we gave up also came in this game. And also to get a little X's and O's heavy on this, we are running our base formation. Twins, one side, uh, single receiver to the other, fullback running back. It looked like a basic smash concept, which is the number one receiver runs a quick hitch, the number two runs a corner. You're more or less reading the defender over the number one if he drops on the corner. You're going to try to high-low the corner. Yeah. And our pass protection, this was a basic drop-back pass, which we've shown all year is the play side, guard, and tackle – man on they take the man over them center backside guard tackle just slide one way and protect the gap they're sliding to now what the defense did they were for most of the game they were running a bare front which is a basic term to mean that the center and both guards and usually more often than not in this case yes both tackles were covered by guys down on the line so the protection kind of turns into man on Whenever we run this, you usually have you're going to have an uncovered a gap, which is the and in this case is the gap between the play side guard and the center uncovered, unaccounted for, and you move a back into that. With uh, <clears throat> what we've shown, we usually put the running back into it and single back with the full back. If he's on that side, he'll slide into it. If not, he looks for work, and then you know. But it, what it should have been was one back slides into that gap. The other back looks for work, looks for help, you know, looks to help do something. And neither back slid into that A gap. And uh, the line, middle linebacker, the, the guy that they hadn't played all year, this was first game back, came just screaming in and lit Aiden up. Now... I even heard from somebody that went to the uh, Booster Club meeting that they spoke on this, and that was Aiden's fault. So I don't know what his checks he calls from the line without knowing the full protection. You know, you can't really blame anybody. But to bring it back to what I said earlier, our line has not gotten beat on any kind of pass rush. That was a blown assignment, not a player getting beat. You can fix a blown assignment. I mean, like, if if a guy needs to check at this gap, I can correct that in film. If a guy's getting beat on the bull rush, that's not something that's such an easy fix. So this, I'm sure the coaching staff got it fixed. It's good to go now, and it's not, like, a problem that we need to be worried about. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to hear the explanation about that play and uh, about how we are supposed to block it mm-hmm. because if, if it was the quarterback's fault I mean I find that really intriguing because I've I've personally never heard of a, a concept in high school where the quarterback has to adjust you know based off of uh, the defense the defensive blitz I, I've yeah. seen it where they've just straight out you know brought too many people for us to block yeah you know you line up seven guys on the line and as a quarterback, you know where your unblocked guy is. Yes. But this is a guy coming right through the middle of the line, right through the A-gap. I feel like that that's something that, as a quarterback, you assume is going to get picked up by somebody. Yeah. You know, off one edge or the other, that, that kind of makes sense if you have an unblocked guy coming off an edge. 
But right down the middle, I mean, I'd love to hear an explanation, you know, just really how the play went down and, and that's you know, just, what was supposed to happen. That's just, that's not like, I can't say that, like, this was supposed to happen from the play call. I'm just, like, watching what we've done and just ha- my own experience and knowledge of, you know, basic pass blocking systems. That's what... It seemed that we had enough blockers. Yeah. We just didn't pick up the blitzer. Somebody did. Somebody missed an assignment. Yeah. But, it, again... That's something that's very easily fixable. And that was the first sack all year. So, yep. you know, it's not like it's happening all the time. No. Defensively, I mean, we just uh, completely shut them down, for lack of a better term. 43 yards, that's kind of hard to beat. Yeah, I mean, somebody claimed that it was the least amount of yards Maslin has ever given up in a game. Uh, you know, we, we didn't do... Too much research, but but I did have you look into it. Yeah, you brought up like, oh, well, that doesn't seem right. I mean, the 1940 team, that defense was legendary. Yeah, the 1940 team. So I Don't just, quote me here, but they only gave up like 300 and some yards all year. So I, I was just thinking to myself, one of those games they had to give up less than 43. And, and when you looked into it, you found one. I just dug into it, the East Erie, Pennsylvania team. We gave up 36 yards, three first downs. Something like that. But And, well, if if you want to come and, you know, like, oh, well, that was back in the day, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust. There wasn't much offense then. We had 505 yards of total offense that game. We went nine for 21 passing and, like, 130-some yards. Yes. I mean, our offense did pretty well. But, I mean, the point is we didn't look – between now and 1940 to see if there were any games that were less yardage. Yeah. But we did find one in 1940. But so it's not the least amount of yards we've ever given up. But at the end of the day, I mean, they only gave up 43 yards. In modern history, that has to be really close to, if not the record for Maslin. And to bring up a team that had 11 starters that were first team all Ohio on defense to compare the numbers to, uh, that speaks in and of itself. Yeah, but to go along with that, you know, like I said, we didn't look in between 1940 and now, but we did check out that all-time great 1940 Maslin Tiger team, you know, which went down as one of the best high school teams ever. Uh, You know, so just the fact that we can compare this to one of their games is, you know, it's it's monumental. Uh, You know, our defense... You know, going back to last year, you know, I think it was about the St. V game last year. It's yeah. really started. Our defense has just been on an absolute tear. So, I mean, it, it's probably been a 10-game streak where, you know, if you put that 10-game stats together, I mean, it, it has been an outstanding run for our defense. And, you know, a lot of props to our coaches, you know, especially, you know, but Coach McConnell, our defensive coordinator, is just has done an outstanding job. And it and looks it's, by this time that he's got his full system more or less installed to where we can just roll like we have been. Yeah, I mean, he, he had inherited a defense that, you know, not putting it on the players, but maybe the system itself. We For a couple of years, we were known to give up a lot of yards. Yep. You know, luckily our offense made up for it. Uh, but now, you know, like I said, going over that like 10-game span where McConnell has really had his system in place, 
I mean, we've shut down a lot of good teams and, you know, our statistics, you know, maybe that's something we can look up for next week. But, Mm -hmm. you know, just that we have been on an absolute tear defensively. And, you know, we've given up seven points, zero points, 21 points, and then seven points. And even then, the seven points this week was on a pick six. Was not on the defense. No. So it wasn't even on like a bad throw. It was on a tip ball mm-hmm. that the corner was just in the perfect position to make a play and take it to the house. Yeah, I mean, there it was a deflected pass and it got returned for interception. You know, things happen. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, obviously, that's not on the defense whatsoever. So you know, as a defense, they've given up you know twenty eight points, or if not less, uh, on the year through four games. Mm-hmm. So you know, that's one touchdown a game. I mean, just like looking at rolling through our opponent's scores, St. V, seven points, one good drive. After that, we shut him down. Glen Oak, zero. We know what happened there. Warren Harding, 21. It was, I know, one touchdown was a missed tackle by the safety that the kid just broke for 55 yards. One was an interception return to the two-yard line. One was a blitz caught into a halfback screen, which the screen is going to beat the blitz 10 times out Mm -hmm. of 10. And then Montclair, a pick six. We've given up one solid scoring drive all year through four games through, I would, I would say four solid opponents. Yeah. And I mean, if you take away the Winston Woods game from last year, which you know, they had amazing yeah. field position the entire game. Our defense was in a tough spot all night long. You know, we're we're looking at, you know, I don't have last year's schedule pulled up. I'm not entirely sure when that St. V game was. But I remember that kind of being... Nine. I kind of remember the week the St. V game being the tipping point for yeah. our defense. It seemed like they really picked it up that game. And ever since... I mean, it's is amazing what our defense has done. You know, maybe we'll be able to get some better statistics pulled up for you, so where we we can really show you how good they've been. But I mean, for the meantime, just just take our word that our defense has been outstanding for you know the last you know all year this year, obviously, yeah. and then you know, even going back into last year as well. And even then, like what you said about stats, this is a point I'm not really going to dig into now because we're kind of running over time, like we have the last four or five episodes every week yeah yep but like stats don't show the whole story and i mean just you have to watch the game football is not just what's on the stat sheet but just looking at our raw defensive stats wow we've got a very very good team here yeah i mean it's a defense that you know we'll be able to carry us a, a far way and we got an offense to match it. So, I mean, obviously the expectations for us are, you know, really high this year. And, you know, like we said earlier, this Firestone team might not be the best, but, you know, look for us to make a statement early, mm-hmm. try to get some younger kids, some playing time, possibly uh, try to improve on, you know, maybe some of the concepts that, you know, we, we need to practice on, yeah. Uh, in an in an in game situation, I know. Just like again, this is our preference versus the coaching staffs. But what what are you allowed? Six quarters for JV? I I believe it's six quarters. So you you can play them at most the second half, and then they can play their game. So what I would play a series or two with full starters, everybody. Let them 
full solid two series, you know? Like, yeah, you definitely no want to. You definitely want to show up to the game yeah. and have that hot start. Yes, you know you want to prove who you are early. You never just want to, you know, kick in the bucket early. And then after that, you keep in like you put in your sub players that you could expect to see in the rotation at any time during meaningful play at any point in the year. So say like. Uh, just sub out the receivers, sub out the running back, but keep in your starting line, keep in your starting quarterback, and let those guys get some solid game time reps. Maybe even uh, practice some situational football and live fire. Say, like, we haven't really had to see a two-minute drill at all, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, just get the hurry-up offense going, something just for the sake of it. But at halftime, they gone. JV, let's see what you got. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see, you know, a two-minute drill. I'd love to see us, you know, try different things on special teams if we need it. You know, if there's some different things we'd like to mix in. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to see us try to, you know, attempt some type of, you know, longer field goal just to see, you know, what what can the kid do mm-hmm. in a live situation. You know, give him, give him a little bit of practice. Also give us, you know, the expectation, you know, what, what can he do in a live game. Yeah. Uh, you know, so just... Some of these things that you'd like to test under the Friday Night Lights, this this would be a perfect game to do it. So, you know, expect them to, you know, maybe try out a few of the things that they'd like to work on for later in the year. And uh, like you said about the special teams, you know, like say for the kickers, bomb on a 50 just with the T in the holder, they're, uh, you know, at 2 p.m. on a Wednesday. That's one thing. Actually kicking a 50-yarder, at in Paul Brown Tiger Stadium with the lights up, with the fans there, maybe a lot of us tailgating, but you know, roughly the same atmosphere mm-hmm. is a whole different animal. Yeah, I mean, to go into that, obviously, you know, kickers they work on kicking by themselves a lot, but obviously they still get a lot of practice with a full team on the field. So it's nothing that you know they haven't seen normally. Uh, but in the you, JV game yeah. last week, mm-hmm. they attempted a forty-two yard field goal on on the J in the JV game. Yeah. Uh, you know, I remember at the beginning of the year, you know, uh, Coach Jarvis mentioned he thought probably the furthest out we would try a field goal this year would be about a, a 37 yarder. So if the ball is on the 20 mm-hmm. uh, with with where the kicker set up, that'd be a 37 yarder. Uh, they attempted a 42 yard field goal. So I, I'm not 25. 100%, yeah, I'm not entirely sure who it was that was attempting the, the kick. Yeah. Uh, but the kick was low. It ended up getting blocked at the line. So you know, sometimes that's a situation where a kid might be able to, you know, kick the ball that far without a line on the field. Yeah. Maybe it was just a bad kick. I'm not sure. You know, I mm. I, I, I don't know. I'm not one the one that's kick, there. You know? Yeah, I'm not there yeah. every day. You know, maybe he just didn't get good contact on it. But sometimes with a further kick, you have to kick it low in order to get that distance. And in that specific situation, the kick was so low that a defensive lineman was able to put his hand up and block it. Yeah. You know, he didn't even really jump for it. You know, it just happened to put his hand up. You know, maybe that's a one-off. Maybe not. But, you know, just being able to see that specific situation happen 
in a game environment it, that that's what weeks like this are for firestone's not the best no. we're going to be able to practice a lot of different things and not not even like the special teams but um it's just i remembered with like you said about sitting guys that are kind of dinged up burgess he got hurt in the game he should be fine but our fix for that was bumping Dion into guard and putting i think it was salazar at left tackle so if we if we're going to run that and let uh burgess rest then we just want to go out and at least run plays run our base stuff because alignment is not alignment the difference between playing guard and tackle is astronomical do you ever see us pull a tackle no you don't our guards pull almost every play depending on which way the run which way the run's going so just getting him those live fire reps at you know after we've shuffled our line a bit will be great for us yeah i mean we, we mentioned it that there are a few players are banged up you know burgess was one of them uh at first i heard a rumor that it was pretty bad and then i i think we may have saw him you know on the sideline of the jv game and mm-hmm. he looked not bad at all so uh, uh, uh we, we have high hopes for that he's going to come back you know fairly soon uh, at the same time, uh, Max Max Turner, yeah. a cornerback, he got hurt. He hurt his knee. Uh, he was in, I don't even know what you want to call it, but a leg brace. Yeah, just a brace. Uh, it was more than just a brace, though. I mean, it was. I mean, it if, was a pretty large brace. But at the same time, he was walking and you know, kind of jogging around on it fairly well. He's not on crutches. Yeah. So you know, we we also expect him to come back fairly soon, hopefully. Just, I mean, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a uh, trainer or anything, but just my mind, it's either a brace or a cast. And if he's not on crutches and he's walking around on it and it's not a cast, it's not that bad. Yeah, I mean, if if he had crutches, it might be a different story mm-hmm. because, you know, you don't always, you know, you don't put a cast on something if, if you tear a ligament. You know, if you, yeah. if you have a torn ACL, you're not going to, you know, put cast on it, but you're going to be on crutches for sure. Yeah. So the fact that he just has a brace on, I mean, it, it's good news for the future. Uh, so, you know, maybe they get some rest this week, maybe even next week, and we'll see how they are after that for the same, the East St. Louis game. Uh, you know, we never know. We don't have the the medical reports on these kids. We're, we're solely basing this off of what we see. Yeah. So, you know, if we're completely wrong, we're completely wrong. But And let me just, as I like to do every episode, put my big J journalist hat on Been poking around prodding with my, uh, sources that, uh, it's neither injury is that bad. Next big game we have, whether we think it's Fitch or East St. Louis, even McKinley, if we think we can hold him off until then, if we think that's the next, you know, big game, uh, they'll be good to go for that, you know? Yeah, so, I mean, we have a lot to look forward to. Uh, I mean, I don't have too much to say anymore about, you know, Firestone coming up this week. Uh, you know, we'll get more into Fitch next week. We touched on them a little bit. Uh, but, I mean, I, I don't know if you have much more to say about it, but just a few random comments uh just real quick one other thing i want to throw out there like i said i kind of mentioned offhand earlier that uh montclair was running cover zero from like the 40 you know they were selling out to beat the run and we still i mean we passed all over them but 
we still kind of doggedly stayed to our power run game. And I think that was more a statement than it was, you know, a game plan. Because we showed we could pass all over these kids we wanted to. But we stayed with, you know, oh, you're going to try and sell out on the run? We're still going to run it at you. And even taking away uh, Jameer's big run in the second half, which went off for like 62 yards, he still ran for four yards a pop, which is incredible against a defense that has a plus two in the run game. Yeah, so that really just feeds back into what we were saying earlier, that we're just so good at both running and passing that not only can you try to take one away from us because we're going to do the other, even when you try to stop one, we're still able to do it. So you try to take away the run, we're still going to run on you. You know, obviously the pass is going to be more effective, but we're still going to run on you while we're doing it. So, I mean, that just shows how well balanced this team is and, you know, just how good the team is. So you said you just a couple things clean up and we'll get out of here. Yeah. So just a few random, random comments here. Uh, Currently, uh, Maslin is ranked number three in division two. Mm hmm which I think that's also where we started at the beginning of the year. I think so, yeah. So I think we started at number three. We're still at number three. Uh, I'm not sure if it's the same two teams ahead of us. I, I, I think Hoban's one of them. Hoban's been one. I, I think for, LaSalle was two to start, and now it's like Toledo Central okay. Catholic Toledo or Central Catholic. Yeah. So that might have changed. I think we're still number three, though. Uh, a random thing that I noticed was that McKinley is – the number seven ranked Division One team in Ohio this year, which which kind of caught me off guard because they they're four yeah. zero, you know, so they're they're doing well so far. Mm-hmm. But I just I didn't think as a team they were that good this year. You know, to be number top ten in Division One, we'll see how the rest of the year goes on. I I think some of that might be just because they're four zero. I don't want to take anything away from them. No. And, you know, obviously when we get Just, closer to the game, it doesn't matter what the records are. It doesn't matter no. who's better than who. It's it's how you play that one game. But I, I was kind of surprised that they were ranked that high. I mean, I've like I said, on I think on the first episode where we touched on McKinley a little bit, that I watched some film on a preseason that they didn't look great. Yeah, for, for comparison, I think St. Ed's. Yeah. was just below McKinley. I think mm-hmm. they were like number nine or don't quote me on that. But, you know, St. Ed's, I think, is two and two. Yeah. But when we watched St. Ed's play McKinley, I mean, it was night and day. St. Ed's was leagues above McKinley for that one specific day. Yeah. So, and on, you know, in the other hand, I've heard that the Fed is just... Uh, Federal League's not great this year. To say it nicely. Thank you for saying it nicely. That, you know, and they're in the Fed, so that's the teams they play. So this might be just like, again, what we touched on earlier, stats, just looking at their record without having actually really watched them much at all this year outside of preseason. If they've improved dramatically, that's great. Like, I want to play them at their best, but I just, number seven in Ohio in D1. I, I think as the year goes on, we might see them drop just because the level of competition. Yeah. You know, they might go undefeated into week 10, but based off of who they're playing, you know, it, it's not going to show their a true strength. The Federal League is not great this year. You know, 
like we said, is and we're going to be nice about it. The Federal League is not great. What we've said about like a Warren and this Montclair team, how it's you know they good players, JV coaching. I I think with McKinley, it's a little more swap than that. I know they've still got some good players. It's still McKinley, but it's like less talent, more coaching. Just kind of knowing who they have on staff and you know that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. I mean, for comparison. You know, Perry, who, you know, for a couple years in a row was a powerhouse in Division Two. Yeah. Based off of their strength of schedule, they are going to have to go nine and one, ten and zero, just in order to make the playoffs in Division Two. No, they have uh, from what I've heard, they have to go ten and zero to guarantee a playoff spot. They go ten and zero, they will for sure get a playoff spot. Nine, nine and one, one is, you're still got a couple teams you're rooting for to lose. It's not a hundred percent. Yeah. But chances are they'll probably make it. Eight and two is it's it's a bubble. What's hurting them is like we said, the Federal League is not good this year. Mm-hmm. Also, they're playing two Canadian teams in Louisville, Which, so it's not helping them with the points. And they also gave up what four hundred and two passing yards to the Canucks. And they're also oh, and they also played Central ah. too. So I mean, they have. I imagine six Federal League games, yeah. two Canadian teams, Louisville and Central. So they're not in a great position to get a lot of points to make the playoffs. Not what one would call ideal. But at the same time, it's it's an easier schedule. You know, they should be able to make the playoffs. Look for them to be, you know, a seven or eight seed. If they end up being that eight seed, there's a good chance we might see them at Paul Brown Tiger Stadium week 11. I am praying to whatever God will listen to me that that game happens. I I also <laughs> hope that we play them week 11. You know, it's, it's a little personal vendetta there. But, uh, you know, I, I think that would be awesome to see just to, you know, kind of put them in their place, especially since they decided they wouldn't play us anymore. You know, it, there's some bad blood between us, and, you know, obviously you'd, you'd love to try to play them and beat them, but... Uh, you know, it's also never an easy matchup going against them e- either. Wow. So, uh, you know, there's kind of a plus minus there. But also the way it's looking, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but our region isn't great. So I, I don't want to get ahead of things. We can, we can it, touch on this stuff later. We're over time, but It's almost impossible for Maslin not to get the number one seed in our region this year. Yeah. We're good. But at the same time, our region... Their strength of schedule isn't good, so they're they're not getting a lot of points. I don't want to say the teams we'll play in the playoffs aren't good. Yeah, I'm saying their strength of schedules are not very good, so they're not getting as many points as we are. And I don't want to say we're good. We are good, good. Like we're good, good. We're pretty good. We're number three in the state in Division Two. You know, we we're trying not to get ahead of ourselves, but we we got to talk about something. It, it, yeah, it's hard not to look ahead a little bit here. But, um, I mean, I guess uh, after being this much over time, uh, I'm actually curious how not over time or how much over time we're going to be after we edit it down. But that's something to look forward to in a half hour or so when we publish it. Yeah, we never know. I leave that all up to you. I just go home and you have to edit the whole thing. Yippee. You'll be all right. Yeah, I'll live. So, uh, you know, hey, go Tigers, beat Firestone, and uh, happy tailgating, huh? Go Tigers.